Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to that Chelsea podcast, episode 43, a week like no other. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. I'm joined as always by Jack Davies. How are we doing, sir? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Thank you, mate. Um, strange week for football, but glad the fans overpowered these uh, money-rich people in the end and, and we got the result we wanted, for the short term anyway. Let's, let's hope it still stays that way long term. And then disappointing result midweek, um, sort of overshadowed by that, but a great win yesterday solid 1-0 and open up a little bit of a gap there. So hopefully we can kick on from here and secure that top four. Yeah, just a very quiet week, really, at Chelsea. You know, not, not much really to discuss. Um, joining us on the podcast for the first time is brilliant Adam Newson. Adam, how are we doing? I'm good, thank you, Jen. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure having you on, Adam. And before we get into it, always get our guests to give themselves a plug. So, Adam, why don't you tell people... Uh, what you do and where they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, I'm uh, the Chelsea uh, reporter for Football London um, and you can follow me at, at Adam Newson um, on Twitter. It's that simple. <laughs> nice one, nice one. Um, yeah, Jack, obviously when we last recorded, we were in pretty jubilant mood. You know, we just progressed to our first Champions League semi-final seven years. We got ourselves into the FA Cup final. We had a really nice fun recording with Chidge and Dean and then 24 hours later, we were all questioning, Was it? what does it even mean? <laughs> um, sort of just a crazy, like honestly, Jack, that was probably the craziest 72, 48, 72 hours we've experienced in our short lives in, you know, football. That was, you know, unheard of. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I didn't really take too much notice of it. And then one of my friends was like, have you heard exactly what's going to happen? Like this Super League, they'll, the Premier League are threatening that the clubs can't play in that. They won't play in the FA Cup, won't play in the League Cup no Champions League and then I was like Jesus that's when it hit me it was like this this is terrible this is going to ruin completely ruin football ruin all it stands for what what we get excited for I know people have spoken about it a lot but for example the Real Madrid game that we've got coming up I, I haven't seen us play Real Madrid in my lifetime it's something that doesn't come round very often at all something that you will all really get up for and and really enjoy watching. And this Super League, we'd be playing them twi- twice a season, every season. Uh, and then the other big point was the no relegation and all of this. So teams just comfortable. I think it loses the competitive element. Um, so, yeah, it was just a disgraceful idea from Mr Perez just trying to get some money for his own club that are in a pretty pretty dire way at the moment. Um, but like, like we said, we've got the 
got the result in the end. Um, and it's it's good to see that um, that hopefully it will stay like this. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, because, you know, we're, we're just fans and, you know, for a lot of people, it consumed like them, you know, people you know, weren't able to focus. I know a lot of people I spoke to were like, I've literally got nothing done these last few days. Like their mind just fixated on it. But as like you, a journalist working, is that perhaps the most craziest 48, 72 hours you've sort of experienced in the industry? Yeah, probably. Um, it was, uh, I found it quite hard to separate the fan in me from the journalist in me as well um so like when this news started filtering out on sunday and then sort of all built up to the sort of announcement sunday evening i i just felt a bit disillusioned with it all and i was just like oh, okay so this is where we're going with football now is it um but then yeah what, what followed over the next 48 hours was fantastic you know the way the chelsea supporters um and also football supporters really but you know the chelsea supporters mobilized uh, really really well um and it led up to that uh, protest outside Stamford Bridge, which I was fortunate to, to be at uh, as a reporter, I will say. Um, mm -hmm. And that was that was such a surreal experience. Um, and it really showed the strength of feeling against the plans. And, you know, Chelsea, by all accounts, were already planning on, on pulling out. But I think it just rammed home to them that this is something that the fans won't stand for um, at all. So yeah, it was a, it was a busy few days, um, and I'll happily admit, uh, you know, I was there for the Brighton game uh, in the first half, and I don't really think I saw much of that first half, to be honest, because of what was going on off the pitch. Um, so yeah, a very a very busy busy three days, but, um, but as you say, we we got the we got to the where we wanted to go in the end with it all. That's yeah, what I was gonna say like we. <laughs> When Liverpool dropped points against Leeds, I just said in our group chat with, our one, with one of our other mates, Louis, and I just said, right, let's hope we don't go and mess this up tomorrow. And the boys were like, well, it doesn't even matter with this Super yeah. League, does it? <laughs> and yeah. then 24 hours later, luckily, luckily we got that result. Yeah, yeah obviously. Oh, no, sorry, go on, Ab. No, I was going to say, on the way to the game, I was like, I'm travelling to a game that I don't know if it matters in, front, in, a, in an empty stadium. It was like just apocalypse football at that point. I thought it was just, yeah, it was very bizarre having to go to a game where you didn't know if anything actually rided on it at all. Yeah, obviously we kind of got, we got questions later, this is kind of links into it. Dan Hill asked, have Chelsea repaired their relationships with the fans after the Super League debacle? If not, what do they need to do in order to fix it? Because obviously, Adam, I kind of feel that Chelsea, you know, the whole narrative that Chelsea last to join, first to leave, you know, Roman's not, was, was not, you know, the, the one pushing this idea really, it was kind of pushed in, you know, we don't want to be left behind type thing. But for me, it doesn't really change sort of how I feel about it. it to me, it kind of, to use, to use sort of analogy, it feels like Chelsea, Chelsea charge went from, you know, murder on football to the attempted murder on football. It was really that drastic. It was that bad a decision. It, it had huge huge consequences and just because we were sort of you know the first to first to, to leave and I guess you know start the domino effect it still doesn't really for me change the way I feel about it you know I don't think you know for some people you know like it's a mistake you know we've got to you know people make mistakes we give for me this was a huge a huge misery of judgment uh, uh, you know they played with fans uh, feelings and emotions at a time where we're in a pandemic uh, where football is you know an outlet for so many people and just because we were, you know, first, first to, uh, last to join and first to leave, to me, it doesn't really change anything. You know, that statement they put out on, on Friday, you know, I didn't really see that as an apology. I saw it more as like we, a justification of why they did it. And then we reacted because we saw you see, saw how it affected you. I don't know about you, but to me, it kind of just feels like it's still spineless and cowardly, but it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it all. No, I think a lot of fans echo how you feel. Uh, I, I genuinely believe that. Um, you know, there are going to be some who will forgive the club's decision and, and understand why they perhaps did it from a purely business business decision. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the club does have a lot of work to do to repair the trust um, between the supporters because, yeah, th this was a decision taken. And I think that's the problem here. This was such a huge, huge decision, one that altered the 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 future of the club for generations to come and there was no consultation with supporters or even an attempt to um 
And I think that's why a lot of, you know, the Chelsea supporters trust have obviously seen massive growth in the last week. Um, they put out a very strong statement about not having any faith in uh, Bruce Buck and Guy Lawrence. That's been echoed by other supporters groups as well. So I think we saw the first sort of attempt from Chelsea to make good uh, by, you know, reversing their decision to, to increase ticket prices next season and, and, uh, and season ticket prices. So that's a start, um, but there's no doubt that Chelsea have a have an awful lot more to do um, to, to repair the damage done. And I don't know how much an apology at this point would really change things. I can completely understand why supporters want one still. Um, but for me, and I, I don't actually, I don't think this will happen. For me, the only person that an apology will seem meaningful from if it was to come from Roman Abramovich, because Roman doesn't speak very often. He is a very guarded person. But if he was the one to put his name to an apology, I think it carries far, far more weight than if it was to come from anyone else at the club. Yeah, Jack, you know, they essentially were willing to, you know, throw away potentially 116 years of history for a quick buck. That's, you know, how I see it, it was, you know, financial... Yeah. incentive and it, it, I guess you know Roman obviously when he heard the news you know he did say you know say you know stop it but again he was also the one who gave the green light to it you know not a big a decision as big as this doesn't happen without going past yeah Roman so like does it obviously I know it's kind of um you know it's past for now you know I'm you know this may well end up in you know something that comes back in the future but has it changed how you sort of feel about Roman at all and you know if it had gone through would it say potentially like you know all the good Roman's done would that have completely undone it all for you um it's, it is a difficult one I know when everyone's all fired up with anger you can say some things that you maybe maybe shouldn't and might regret but he's done 99% of the time, 95% of the time, he what he's done for this club since he joined has has been immense. The amount of money he's he's pumped into it, players, facilities, things like that, anything really. Um, you've only got to look at all the work he did when the pandemic first started for the NHS, um, allowing their staff to uh, stay at the at the hotel at, at the bridge and for free. Um, and keep paying all, all the employees, didn't furlough anyone, things like that. Not many companies really did that. Or, yeah, or clubs, you saw big clubs like Spurs taking out massive loans, furloughing all their staff. Um, but it, it was just a terrible decision at the end of the day to, to decide to want to do this. Um, and as anything in life, it, everything always revolves around money. Um, which is a sad thing to say, but it's true. When when you say we were the last one to join and and first one to leave and get out of there, yeah, it's all very well saying that, but they've still joined it. They've they've seen all oh, all these clubs are going to be getting this big big payment for joining, and they're thinking, oh, we're going to get left behind here. Um, and it just comes back to the mon money incentive there. They could have they could have taken a stance then and would have got shown a lot more respect, but it was just at the end of the day, just the fear of being, being left behind, I guess. Um, so I think everyone just feels hurt and like, almost like you've had your armor dented from, from this, but hopefully, um, hopefully it will recover. Um, I don't think it's beyond, beyond recoverable because like I said what he's done for the club since he took over has has been immense yeah Adam how PSG the good guys in this you know they're the ones who said, <laughs> said no they are like you know probably one of the worst most you know one of those evil clubs in football per se you know they didn't join like but it's true yeah. but PSG came out of this the good guys yeah it's uh one of the biggest quirks of this whole story I think um and you know, for all for all the moral issues you have with PSG and, and their ownership, you know they did take a stand against this and not to, to stick with what was going on with UEFA. And you do have to give them credit for that. Um, 
and you know obviously Bayern Munich and Dortmund are, are in a bit of a different situation because of uh, of how the the structure of their club is owned. But you know, you know, Jack made an, an excellent point there. And at the start of the week, I did I wrote a, an open letter to to Roman on Football London. You know, he has done so much for this club. He's made so many supporters' dreams come true that you, you know, me growing up uh, in the nineties, I would never have expected. But um, at the end of the day, you know, you make a decision like this, and you have to you have to live with the the ramifications of it. You can't even if even if even if Chelsea had apologised, it doesn't absolve them of, of all blame and it doesn't make things right just because you apologize you know you still have to accept any punishment that comes your way and if Chelsea are punished which they seem will be you know Seferin did an interview with the with the mail again where he said that you know there will be sanctions um there'll be fewer sanctions for the English clubs because they did make the decision to pull out but they still will be some kind of sanctions I think we as Chelsea fans have to accept that because it was the club's decision and they have to live with that now and, and accept what comes their way yeah, obviously, you know, there's talk of possible sanctions. There's a couple of schools of thought that, you know, do you deduct points for this, you know, prevent, you know, to, to send a message? Because fines only go so far, really, you know, there's deep pockets of the club. But then also, is it fair to punish the fans who rallied against this so passionately and also the players and management who had nothing to do with it and had no knowledge of it? it it's it's a real tough one. But, you know, if Chelsea... And if Chelsea would say start next season with minus 50, 20 points, there'll be other clubs. Just, just for like a pure entertainment sense, I'd actually kind of be all for it because it'd be interesting to see, you know, Chelsea, you know, trying to still scrape, you know, battle for top four. But obviously I realise, you know, it's not really fair on the players' management. What's your kind of stance on punishments, really? Yeah, I mean, I've gone very much back and forth on this. I was uh, thought similar to similar to you at the sort of back end of last week. I was like, yeah, deduct one points next season. It'd be great. Everyone sort of really have a great season to watch. But I think, in, you know, I realise now that, like it or not, you know, Chelsea were never planning to leave the Premier League or none of these clubs were planning to leave the Premier League. So I don't know how easy it would be to punish them within the context of the Premier League because what they were doing is essentially running away from UEFA and running away from the Champions League. So it would feel wrong to punish them in the Premier League because, you know, for all the sins of this, they, their intention was to still try and play in the Premier League. Um, so I'm not sure whether or not the Premier League will be able to punish them. I'm, you know, I'm not as clued up on every little rule within the Premier League guidelines as, you know, I'm sure the lawyers will be. So um, I might be wrong on that. But um, but yeah, I, I think it's incredibly difficult how you handle this because you say a fine to one of these mega clubs isn't unless it's absolutely gargantuan isn't going to have a huge effect um and it does feel wrong to punish the players and and the coaching staff because they didn't have any say on it as well so unless you target very individual people and even then it's it's not that easy to know which individuals would have pulled the trigger on it essentially um it's uh it's a very tricky situation and, and it's going to be very very hard to, to try and punish people fairly and and the individuals responsible fairly but as I say whatever does happen I do think Chelsea will have to just accept it and, and take their medicine on it really. Yeah obviously you know the news broke before the Brighton game. Brighton game was actually delayed due to the fan protests. Um, I think check, might, you know. surely that will be the first game to be played in an empty stadium to be pushed back because there were <laughs> Yeah, that's for a fan very, control very issues. <laughs> yeah, that's a very, very good point. You know, Pedicek actually went out there of his own accord to talk to fans. A lot of people this time kind of thought, oh, Chelsea have thrown him to, to deal with a protest. But Pedicek actually went out there of his own accord. Jack, what was your kind of like seeing Big Pete go and like trying to appease the fans? What did you kind of make of it all? Fair play to him. That is very, very ballsy. Um well, from the videos I saw, it looked like people were pretty pissed off seeing him at the start. But um, when he's when he's trying to calm down, tell him the people will sort it. People will sort it. He's clearly been told already that we're gonna we're gonna be out of there soon. So he was, I guess, sort of trying to foreshadow what was gonna happen. Um, but yeah, like I said, I just fair play to him for going out and facing all those fans because especially on his own literally just him there um yeah I, I probably wouldn't have done it myself but um fair fair play to him there yeah obviously Adam we saw you know the impact 
you know the fan, fans may and obviously you know Chelsea you know Chelsea may well have already made the decisions before the protest took place but they would have been aware that the protest was going to happen they would have seen you know the outrage across social media does, does this give you like confidence and can this give fans confidence uh, can this give fans confidence for their voice can have like a big say and they can impact other matters you know we've sort of seen you know Patrick Bamford was sort of like well where's this you know I've brought for you know for racism and all the mm. big the big issues and obviously Ilkay Gundogan came out and said you know criticizing the Champions League reforms is this you know can this be the start of something or is this sort of just one off a one off like a brilliant moment in, in you know from for the fans I think it can be the start of something, actually. And I, I think that would be the great irony of this is that a decision taken, a completely selfish decision taken, can actually have a huge impact on making football a bit more uh, open to discussion and open to, to listening to the supporters once again. Um, you know, Chelsea are by, you know, have met with fan groups this week and, and the sort of view uh, and the feeling is that, you know, they are very apologetic and they are. Are very sympathetic to, to the reaction and, and what you know the, the strength of feeling so um if that is is sort of reciprocated across all these clubs now then perhaps we will see a change and, and you know fans will be given a greater voice among football clubs again um and that would be a hugely important thing and as you say Ilkay Gundogan coming out and um with with his point as well it'd be interesting to see if we have a strong players union built up off the back of this um and yeah, it would be very ironic um, if such a selfish decision was taken uh, by 12 ownership groups uh, actually led to having a far more sort of democratic football sort of decision-making process where far more people are consulted rather than those at the very top who have all the money. Yeah, one, one thing I will give praise to, to all the 12 owners. They did. They managed to unify seemingly all of football, and you know, they and, and in Roman's, you know, and in Chelsea's case, managed to unify Chelsea Twitter, which is which is a shock. Um, don't worry, it was all, all you know, normal service was resumed when Jorginho made some quotes about Frank Lampard a few days later. But um, you know, that, you know, in a way, that was sort of nature, sort of healing itself, I guess. Afterwards, you know, we couldn't expect unity for too long. But obviously, say there was a game, and I'd, I'm not going to spend too long in it because. I'll be honest, it is probably one of the worst games in terms of quality that I can actually remember watching in a long time. It made me think that the game against Norwich last year, the 1-0 win at Stamford Bridge, that made it look like a really good game in comparison because the Brighton game was so largely forgettable. Chelsea were, you know, pretty, so god-awful. And it's, and it's understandable. But Adam, you know, but what, one of the rare times where the football was more just, you know, uh, a footnote, you know, compared to, to the big events of the day where, I'll be honest, I was mentally drained from it. I was, you know, there was a, a little, you know, when as soon as the news, there was a sort of a little excitement for the game. But then I guess given how the game started, I think that kind of <laughs> enthusiasm just drained quickly. And by the end, I was just quite happy just to, you know, get out of it with a nil-nil draw. And at the end of the day, football in my eyes was saved and that was the big winner. And I probably didn't recover, you know, mentally, get recovered mentally really till, till West, you know, just before the kickoff at West Ham yesterday. But I don't know about you. No, I, I agree. And I think when we look back on that day um, as an event sort of in a few years, people will genuinely forget that we actually played a match that evening as well. Um, it was so forgetful. Uh, the game, I, yes, I say, you know, I barely watched much of the first half just because of what was unfolding elsewhere. I think it was the same for everyone else in the press box. Um, and, you know, it, it did impact the players. What was going on, Tuchel said that. He even accepted himself that he went into the game with a mindset that he doesn't normally have, which may explain why Chelsea ended up in such a mess at the end of that game with their system with Christensen at right back and Reese at left back and Timo Werner seemingly playing as a number eight for some reason. Um, so, yeah, I think let's just draw a line under that now um, and forget that match ever happened. And, you know, we'll take, we'll take the point and move on. Yeah, exactly. You know, in normal circumstances, we might talk about Kepa being in goal, Mount being played sort of in the double six. But no, no, no one really, really cares about that. Uh, Basuma's a cracking little player for Brighton. I thought, but other than that, nothing, nothing um, really to take away. I guess before we move on to West Ham, big news of the week, Jose Mourinho was sat by Spurs. And again, no one really seemed to care. So, yeah, kind of crazy. Jose's probably, you know, secretly furious, I guess, for the attention's not on him. But um, yeah, Jose got sat by Spurs. I thought Levy, Levy, Levy did it because he thought he was getting his big payment in from the Super League. So he Super. thought, I'm, I'm, I can afford to sack him now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A, a strange decision 
vice versa. I mean, I don't, who cares? And, you know, the, my love-hate relationship with Jose Mourinho can now be shift back to the love side, which is always, always nice. But um, Chelsea had a big game against West Ham yesterday. It was made even bigger by the fact that Newcastle, yes, Newcastle, the boys, got a massive, massive point at Anfield. I mean, the, those last few minutes of that game, I was in sheer joy when I thought Newcastle had initially equalised. Then VAR came and ruined it. But then credit to Newcastle, they stuck at it and sort of got that late equaliser, Adam. And I know you and I were sort of talking, you know, briefly before, and I sort of said to you, I almost celebrated that like a Chelsea goal because it was huge. Yeah. But again, sort of just quite nice to the fact we're talking about a goal that means something and all, you know. And then Chelsea, credit to them, they did the business yesterday and actually took advantage of others slipping up. Yeah, which they uh, haven't always done over the last couple of seasons. Um yeah, I didn't think Chelsea were brilliant against West Ham by any stretch. Um, you know, it was a very, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it was a very professional performance. They kept them at, at arm's length for most of the game. They didn't really give West Ham too many chances. There was maybe a couple for Lingard. Um, but it, it's kind of what Chelsea have become under Thomas Tuchel. They're just this incredibly well-drilled, very functional side that if you get a goal, if they get ahead, you know, the likelihood is they're going to win the game because they just don't concede chances. Um, and it's not always the most thrilling to watch. Um, but, you know, it, it is definitely working. And given what's ahead, I think it's important that Chelsea are in this position now where they can just sort of play games almost sort of on an autopilot at this stage. They know exactly what they have to do. They know where they're meant to be on the pitch. They know how to, to restrict space and restrict opponents. And yeah, with, you know, Real Madrid to come and, and big games, you know, there are still big games in the top four race, you know, let's not forget that. Um, I think it does bode very well for, for the rest of this season because I think the players are tired. I do think they are tired at this point. Um, but the way Chelsea play, I guess, is a great way of conserving energy because they do just dominate the ball and defend through possession. And that really, I think, helps them avoid getting completely fatigued um, sort of every week. Yep, Jack Ben Chilwell basically said him to the fifth stand-up afterwards. He's basically win or bust them, you know, that's what he described it as. He had a big impact in the goal. And Timo Werner ended the drought, I guess, in a way. You know, a lot of people draw, tried, we've been trying to draw parallels recently to, to Chelsea's 2012 Champions League run. As I said, I think that might slightly have been judged by the fact that, you know, we joined and left the Super League, but <laughs> who knows, we'll have to see. But obviously, I guess some, some, some slight parallels with the fact that Timo Werner ended his goal drought against West Ham, obviously... A former Chelsea striker ended his goal drought against West Ham. Actually, scored his first goal uh, for Chelsea against West Ham in Fernando Torres. But you know, nice to see Timo get on the score sheet. And actually, I thought probably one of his best performances for a while. And nice to see him actually taking shots because I feel yeah. like that's the most shots we've seen him take for a long, long time. Yeah, apart from that second one where he <laughs> scooped it wide somehow. But yeah, no, no, he did he did really well yesterday. Uh, he's all. Every game you see, he, he makes really good runs, just not everyone passes the ball. I don't know if people don't slightly trust him at the moment with his form and stuff like that, but he's making decent runs as usual. Um, he's taking people on as well, I thought, at times. And, yeah, he scored scored a great goal, great cutback from, from Chile and, and a top finish. Um, it's just one of those, we've said it so many times, but I think he really needs to go on a run of scoring in consecutive games to really get the confidence skyrocketing and get himself back on the path that he wants to be on because we signed him as a as someone who was going to bag us 20-plus goals this season. Um, and for whatever reason, it hasn't quite worked out. But I think at the end of the day, he gets a lot of stick and he's he's I saw he'd got the most uh, goal contributions of any of our players this season. He's got 11 goals and 12 assists, and he's won us seven penalties. It, obviously, he would have liked to have scored more goals, but if that's him contributing that much to the team, being a flop this season, then it's only going to get better for him next season going forward. Um and like I said, I just really hope that he can he can get himself on a really good run of of sticking the ball in the back of the net because that will do him the world of good. Yeah, Adam, you know, I kind of feel like I say to Jack every week, but obligatory Mason Mount had a very good game and Mason Mount is very good at this thing we call football. Yeah, he's uh, he's reached a level of consistency now, which 
I think it's probably easy to, to probably overlook. Um, he is producing every single week. He is having an impact every single week and he's arguably Chelsea's best player every single week. Um, he will win the player of the season award unless it is the most unjust vote in, in perhaps history. Um, yeah, he, he's fantastic. Um, and it's so nice to just have someone that good uh, be homegrown. Um, and he's going to be in the team for years to come, no doubt. Yeah, 99 appearances that is for him now at 22. Yes, he's played Making a it. ridiculous amount of football over the last yeah, yeah. sort of 20 months. But yeah, he'll make his uh, 100th against Real Madrid, which uh, is a, is a yeah. nice moment for him. Yeah, Real Madrid's fancy training ground, which is, yeah, again, one, of the, one of the crazy things of this. Yeah, that famous night in the Bernabeu training ground, potentially. Yeah, um, Jack, word. And God, I can say he's here, he's there, he's everywhere. You know, again, yesterday, just, just a machine, the bloke, isn't he? And, and again, credit to Jorginho. Again, I thought, again, you know, fairly solid showing from him as well. Yeah, like we said, I think those two, those two in there's the best, the best options we've got um, in that double six, personally, I think, because you've got Jorginho that can, uh, has got the technical ability to play around. And then you've got someone like Kante who, does the job of everyone says two men probably does the job of about three men these days um, and can just scoop up everything, win the ball back, send us on counter attacks. Um, and, and his, his passing ability, I know he, he should have spread it to Z yesterday, but overall in the past few seasons, his passing ability on the ball has improved massively. He's really improved his technical side of the game. So we know what he's always been good at. Um, but yeah, those two, those two were good again, um, and yeah, I think it'll be those. Think it'll be those two against Madrid on Tuesday. Yeah, obviously Kovacic hoping to, because hoping he's back um, for the Fulham game. Yeah, Adam, we sort of talk about, I guess you know, Tuchel in his press conference constantly asked, "Is this the biggest game? Is this you know the biggest game?" But that felt, to me, that felt really significant. To me, that felt, you know, perhaps Chelsea's biggest win of the season. Obviously, I know they was getting past Atletico. I know they was getting past Manchester City. But Chelsea's league form under Tuchel has been, you know, solid, but not spectacular. I think it'd be fair to say there have been a lot of drop points against lesser sides. Um, but a big, you know, a big statement for Chelsea going forward and, you know, huge given we, we've got probably the toughest running out of the rest of the teams competing for the top six, uh, competing for top four. Yeah, 100%. I thought Chelsea really needed to win yesterday just to, to give them some breathing space uh, ahead of the run-in because um, I think we've still got Arsenal to play, we've still got City to play, we've still got Leicester to play, Villa away on the final day will not be easy. Um, so to give you give yourself that that gap, you know, it's not a huge gap, it's a three-point gap, probably a, a four-point gap with, with goal difference if you look at it like that, um, is massive and it does give Chelsea a chance to, to make a mistake and not, you know, it not be the end of the world. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen. Obviously, hopefully Chelsea win every game from here on into the end of the season and that would be brilliant. But um, but the reality is, you know, probably we'll drop a point here and there, you know, if City have won the title, maybe we can go to the Etihad and play a, a team that's not 100% focused or whatnot. But um, but yeah, it, it was a huge win yesterday and, and just to give them that, that sort of wiggle room, basically, to, to be able to make a mistake and it not be uh, so so costly uh, in the race for the top four. Yeah, it's kind of just on the flip side. How deflating you think? Do you think this could be for West Ham? Obviously, we know they were about Mikel Antonio, Declan Rice, Craig Dawson, no Aaron Cresswell. Uh, but given you know this sort of they've been so close to getting top four, and they've still got a really good chance. But you know they they probably now realise that they've got to be near on perfection. Together, how big an impact do you think that can have for them for the rest of the season? Like, will it deflate them at all? You know, I'm not sure it will, just because I don't think you know they didn't even expect to be here anyway. So the fact that they're fifth with you know five six games to go is is a huge achievement for West Ham in itself. Um, there's no real pressure on them. There's no real reason to feel down about yesterday's game. They can just keep playing as they have been playing, you know, as the underdogs, and their running is far more favourable than say Chelsea's. So. I don't think it will hit them too hard because, as I say, I, I just don't think they were. In, you know, nobody would have expected them to be in the position they're in anyway. So, 
whatever they do from here on in will be seen as a, as, as a success. So I think they'll just go into the next game knowing that, you know, they can keep trying to win and, and pull off what would be a huge shock in getting into the top four still. Yeah, perhaps more damaging then for Liverpool considering they drew to, to Newcastle, Chelsea, four points ahead of them, Liverpool are at Manchester United next week, Chelsea are at home to Fulham, you know, can't, you know, this is a, that is a game Chelsea should win, but if Chelsea were to win next weekend against Fulham and Liverpool were to fail to win at Manchester United, would you say that that was Liverpool out the top four race or is that still perhaps too early to call? <laughs> Uh, I think it would be incredibly difficult for them to make up the ground. Uh, I wouldn't rule them out 100% just because this season has been so mad. Um, but yeah, obviously their form, especially at home since the turn of the year, has been so patchy. It, it's difficult to see if they were sort of six, seven points behind Chelsea with only five games to play. It would be difficult to see them closing that gap in time, basically. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And in a sec, guys, we'll move on to part two to answer your questions. All right, we're now going to go on to your questions. Um, first question coming from RJ. He first goes, how big was that result against West Ham for the rest of the season? And two, how did you rate Timo Werner overall? There were a lot of people asking about Timo Werner. Manan asked thoughts on Timo's performance, folks, buzzing he got the goal, but should he really have had two or even a hat-trick? Adam, it's sort of, it's a strange one because I don't want to be too harsh on Timo because he got a goal and he won us the game. But there was a sense. And when he missed that second goal, you, we all saw, you know, I think we've now all seen the clip of Thomas Tuchel's reaction on Twitter. He, he can't quite believe he's missed it. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't quite believe He's missed it. But, you know, how does this all set us up for the rest of the season? And, you know, how, how did you sort of, what did you make of Timo's performance yesterday? Uh, in terms of the rest of the season, I think it's a, it's a really good win to just give Chelsea some confidence um, that they can go into a high stakes game and win. Obviously, they've, they've already done so against Atletico and against Porto. So it's just, you know, adding to this sense of maturity that this team now has. Um, and I think that will be important for the games to come. In terms of Timo Werner, I had to do the player range yesterday and I honestly I was like, I don't really know what to give him. Um, <laughs> he, he played well first half. He, you know, he dropped in off the nine, uh, off the number nine role really well. He, he ran it behind well. He held the ball up well, which I don't think we've really seen much of him. And he took his goal well. Yeah, that, that miss in the second half. I mean, I, I don't know how he's managed that. Um, but it's not that much of a surprise anymore. Um I mean, even back in when he was at Leipzig, Leipzig, you know, Timo Werner was a guy that relied on a volume of chances to, to score goals. So it's not like he's been, you know, a one one chance, one one goal sort of forward. He's never been that. But yeah, I thought he played well with the sort of caveats of of his miss, and you know, and maybe this is just what we're going to have to accept with Timo Werner is that he is going to do a lot of good things, but every now and then he is going to miss an absolute sitter and you just hope that they come in the games that Chelsea are, are leading comfortably in or, or, or go on to win it anyway yeah fair enough um, next question comes in from Trey Jack Timo gets a winning goal but does he deserve to start the next game would you start Timo Werner against Real Madrid um, probably not but <laughs> but then I was saying earlier you kind of want him to play to try and score another one, especially in a game like that. If he scored in a game like that, then that would be massive for him. But I think the three that we we'd been uh, using recently with Havertz in the false nine and Pulisic and Mount seem to be working pretty well. Even though I must say that can be very hit and miss. Um, but I think I think Havertz play plays well in Europe. Um, so I'd, I'd probably go for that. But I can understand if he plays him. I won't be I won't uh I won't be fuming, let's say, if if he does play him, I'll understand. Um because at, at the end of the day, even though yeah, he missed missed that terrible chance yesterday and we saw the the worst and the best of him, he still scored the winning goal for us and got us those massive three points. Yeah. And so for that. You know, comes the next question comes in from Dean Mears. He goes, Are we more fluid with the false nine? 
because you know again sort of Jags it has been quite hit and miss and to be fair yesterday I actually thought you know Timo also created a really good chance for Christian Pulisic really should have probably put away in the first mm. half as well so are we more fluid with a full sign or, or is it just so hard to defend because again we saw a scene against like the, the ties against Porto Havertz up top didn't necessarily work yeah I, I think it's fundamentally based on what the opponent does you know we, we saw against Liverpool when Liverpool played with a, a ludicrously high uh, high line and, and Timo Werner played really well in that game because he was able to, to exploit the space in behind so I think it's very much on, on what the you know how the opponents set up. I do think against Rao, we will see Kai Havertz uh, as a false nine, um, and I think we'll see Mason and another uh, on the left. And I think that's going to be important just because obviously Rao have a very good midfield three um, in in Modric and Kroos and Casemiro, and I think it's going to be it's going to be vital that Chelsea are able to play around those. And obviously with just the two of Kante and Jorginho, you're going to need another person to drop in, whether that be Havertz or Mount, to, to create sort of um, a numerical advantage in that. So um, I think Chelsea can play equally as well without a false nine. Um, and, you know, this is why I've pushed for Tammy Abraham to be given more minutes as well. But um, but I think going forward in the biggest matches, we will see Chelsea use a false nine. And, you know, if they can replicate the sort of performance they had against Palace in that opening 30 minutes then you know we, we saw how devastating that could be as well yeah and uh sorry Jack got to mention Tammy Tammy appeared he, he uh, made his first, first appearance for, for years it's been 84 years you know for yeah. me. but um didn't have uh, an to see him off bench and to be fair you know obviously he had the miss you know it was you know maybe slightly you know not the easiest chance maybe but you know I actually thought he was quite lively when he came on. You know, he was, he oh, was yeah. decent in the was, You know, he caused West Ham defence a few problems. Yeah, no, definitely. I was just going to say it was nice to uh, not have to see him posting an Instagram story at home just of the TV saying, come on, Chelsea. So it was nice to see him out there. And yeah, I think he, he knows he's he's got something to prove, doesn't he? He's got to prove show wrong. Um we said it before, leaving him out of these squads and having Emerson and Alonso on the bench is just just completely beyond me. And you've got seven or eight substitutes and he still can't even sit on the bench. Um, but yeah, I thought he looked really lively. He was chasing everything down. Um, and yeah, maybe I'm fortunate with, with that one at the end. Slightly too high for him from Mason, which was unbelievable from Mason there to get Wangler's way past about two or three players and stick the ball in. I saw them taking the piss out of it afterwards. Tammy was saying, I'm only six foot five, mate, or something. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it didn't matter, did it? So um, we got the three points. But yeah, really good to see him out there. And hopefully he does get more chances. We've said, well, I want to see him get more chances, especially when you've seen people like Timo getting countless opportunities and not delivering. And Tammy doesn't even get anything, literally nothing. Like he's probably played less than a hundred minutes in the Premier League under Tuchel. Um, so, uh, I mean, what can what can the man do? He's just got to keep working hard and not throw his toys out the pram and improve him wrong. Yeah, Tammy Abraham and Billy Gilmore both from the bench as well. You know, again, that feels like a rarity. Obviously, and there was no Olivier Giroud, and sort of the talk is that he's now, you know, he's not going to be offered a contract by Chelsea. And he's kind of off at the end of the season. So I'm kind of going to use this. How do you think, you know, I know there's still, you know, the season's not finished and Giroud may well have a part to play, but how do you think Olivier Giroud's Chelsea career will be remembered? Because I think, you know, cult hero would be a fair word to describe him, but how would you sort of sum up Olivier Giroud's Chelsea career? Um, uh, yeah, cult hero uh, and a man who scored very important goals for Chelsea. Um, he didn't play that regularly. I don't think he's ever been a regular in this Chelsea team, but... You know, through the Europa League run to Sarri uh, into the top four sort of run in last season, you know, he did score a lot of big goals for Chelsea. Um, and, you know, by all accounts, he's a, a really nice guy. He's really important around the training ground. He's a really good person to have in the squad. So, you know, when he was brought in, I think he's probably done the job that Chelsea wanted him to do. Um, and, you know, I, th I think... You know, he, he he's going to be probably remembered more as an Arsenal player when he, people look back on his career. But I think this period at Chelsea has been really, really good for him. He's won some trophies, which I'm sure he enjoys, uh, which he didn't get too often at Arsenal. Um, so, yeah, no, I think he's been really, been really good. Um, 
and just on Tammy, I don't, you know, I don't want to go on a big Tammy Abraham rant, but the thing that I don't understand about the criticism of, uh, criticism of Tammy Abraham is that he only scores tap-ins as if it's a bad thing. It's like we don't, we haven't had, Chelsea haven't had a number nine who just scores tap-ins for quite a long time now. And the fact that, you know, we've, we've given us a jack, so we've given team, team has had loads of chances, Kai's had lots of chances, and it's like, oh, the guy who just scores tap-ins, oh, no, don't play him because he might score a tap-in. So it doesn't make sense to me. And I'm really glad that he got a run out yesterday. And I really, really, really hope that he can get more minutes and take take a few chances in the in the weeks to come. Yeah, so it's almost like Tammy's goals aren't, you know, we, we struggle to score goals, but Tammy's goals don't count for whatever reason. He's often sort of labelled a flat-track bully. Or well, flat-track bully would be quite useful in certain games. But anyway, yeah, the Tammy mystery... Is in Shuan. I, I do think he'll be off at the end of the season, unfortunately. But you know, we'll have to have to wait and see. So the next question comes in from uh, Patrick. He goes, "Do you think Chelsea will finish in the top four after this win?" I feel that's like I feels like it should be, but then I feel like if we go and mess up against Fulham next week, my opinion might well very well change again. So Patrick, I'll, I will say if Chelsea beat Fulham next week, I think we will finish in the top four. But but Jack, do you think we'll finish in the top four? Uh, it's in our hands at the end of the day, isn't it? That's that's the main thing. We're not chasing people. It's it's down to us to to get the job done. Um, but like like we've all mentioned, Adam mentioned earlier, we've got some tough games coming up with Arsenal still to play, Leicester still to play, Man City still to play. Um, so we've got to win that game next week against Fulham. I'll say that's, that is a must, must win. Um, but then you look at Leicester, they've got, they've got us Spurs and have they got Liverpool? Some, they've got a few. United, hard games. Yeah. United, that's it. A few hard games at the end of the season. Yeah. Liverpool could be out of it by next weekend if they drop points against United, but then they've got Southampton, West Brom, Burnley and Palace. So wouldn't rule them out. You should they should be getting twelve points from those four. Um, so look, like I said, at the end of the day, it's in our hands, and we just we've got to go and go and win these games. Yeah, I mean, Adam, it's kind of following you know a familiar pattern. We kind of saw it under Sari, where Chelsea kind of tripped and fell into the top four under under Frank. You know, I think we were under Frank. We were actually in the top four from October that season all the way to the end, but you kind of never quite knew how. Um, and this, sort, yeah. this is kind of following a similar a similar pattern where we've got ourselves into position. And really, you know, I know people might say, oh, we were 9-4-10 when Tuchel came over. We were however many points off top four. But given that situation kind of got rectified, given we were in top four, you know, and it's in our hands, there's not really any excuses now, is there, if Chelsea miss out from here? No, not at all. Uh, you know, yeah, Tuchel has done brilliantly to get Chelsea into the position they're in, but you know now they have to, to take advantage of that. Um, I, yeah, I agree with both of you. I think Fulham next week. We, I know we say this every week now. Oh, it's a big game this weekend. But I, yeah, as you say, I think if you can if you can take three points away from Fulham, which you know won't be easy because for all their you know results, they are actually performing quite well in terms of what they're doing on the pitch. But I think if we come through that, then you you know. I, I think we could realistically beat Man City at the Etihad, even though um, it looks on paper a really tough game. I think Chelsea should have enough. Should have enough. I'm going to leave the should in as a very much should have enough here. Yeah, exactly. We, we're not going to deal in absolutes here. Um, <laughs> next. It's a dangerous game to do that, trust me. Um, sort of a, a sort of a funny question. It kind of gets us to, you know, allude a bit more on Angolo Kante, it comes in from Matt, who goes, which can last longer, a Tesla battery or Angolo Kante? Um, Jack, you know, we kind of, uh, Angolo Kante was a player who wasn't even in the, you know, obviously wasn't in the team at the start under Thomas Tuchel. Obviously, there was sort of, you know, injury to manage, but he's become a player who's become really, really vital for this team, hasn't he? Yeah, and has been since he joined. There's, there's no one better in world football at what he does. Um, and like we said, he does the job of more than one player every single game. He's here, there and everywhere. You, you've only got to look at that game um, against Atletico in the second leg at home and it's the 93rd minute and he's absolutely bombing it to get up, up, the, other, up the other end and 
give another option, which then allowed Pulisic to play it to Emerson and stick the ball in the back of there. It's things like that. He's just, his work rate is, is unbelievable. And he's certainly, certainly going to be, certainly going to be a legend of this club. Uh, that's why I've got a, uh, got a signed shirt from him ready to go up on the wall. Um, so that's how much I think of him personally, but yeah, absolutely terrific player. Yeah, and I kind of get you on this. Obviously, you know, N'Golo Kante, sort of people question, you know, his injury record because he did miss quite a few games last season. He has missed a few this season. But when, you know, Tuchel, to be fair, I think has actually managed him really well. You know, obviously he didn't play against Brighton and whether we missed him against Brighton, you know, you could question, but then again, it was just a pretty abject performance with a lot of extenuating circumstances. But you feel he is pretty crucial for the successes Chelsea want to achieve this season, not only in the Premier League and the FA Cup, but particularly in Europe. No, definitely. He, he's going to be huge against Real Madrid. Um, as I mentioned, you know, they are going to have a midfield three and he's going to have to try and create a midfield three uh, with himself and, and Jorginho. Um, yeah, you know, he's 30 now and he's had some issues with his hamstrings. So I think in the, you know, seasons ahead, he's going to be, have to be managed a little bit more than, than maybe we've seen in the past. But if you can keep him fresh, if you can keep him injury-free, yeah, that Atletico performance in, in the second leg was astonishing. The amount of ground he covered, the amount of, of, of ball recoveries he made. And and as Jack said, the fact he's, you know, charging up the pitch after playing that level for 90 minutes is is just unbelievable. He is he is everything you'd want from a sort of central midfielder, you know, double six midfielder, as Tucker would say. So yeah, it, it, he'll be vital to, to what Chelsea do over these next few weeks. It's just um, we probably won't see him every game because, yeah, I, I think Tuchel knows that he has to be carefully managed now. Yeah, I think he said yeah. that, hasn't he? He said he, he struggles if it's a two or three day uh, between each game. But, yeah, I mean, if we can get these results that put us in a strong, uh, strong position for the top four, then hopefully we can potentially rest them at points. Yeah. Our final question comes in from Kamal and it goes, what is it going to take to beat Real Madrid? Obviously, that is now where attention turns to a huge, huge game on Tuesday. We take on Real Madrid. Um, Adam, what's it going to take to beat Real Madrid? You know, we've got Thibaut Courtois reunion. We've got, you know, potential Eden Hazard reunion. He came off the bench yesterday and I think apparently created most chances in his limited time on pitch more than anyone else so you know that's kind of a slightly worrying sign but what's it going to take to be for Real Madrid? Um, I think Chelsea and I appreciate this probably isn't the, the in-depth response you were hoping for just have to keep doing what they have been doing um, this isn't you know the Real Madrid team of maybe three or four seasons ago you know they haven't got Cristiano Ronaldo they're not maybe as fluid in the attacking third as they were I don't think they've scored in their last three. Um, so if Chelsea can defend well, um, which they obviously have shown that they can do under Tuchel, then I don't think the game will be the, that exciting in terms of end-to-end. But I think Chelsea do have enough to restrict Real Madrid and have enough to, to hurt them in the final third. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, the Eden Hazard thing concerns me because it would be very much football for him to suddenly turn up um, after nearly two years of having an awful time of it, just to produce a 90-minute performance where we're all like, oh, yeah, that's the Eden Hazard we know. Great, cheers. Um, but I do think Chelsea have enough to, to, to beat Real Madrid, um, especially over two legs. And I am not, and I really hope we do, just because of everything that Florentino Perez has, has said in the last week, just... The fact he devalued the protest, the fact he's you know insistent that the Super League should go ahead, the fact that the Super League regular um, the contracts drawn up had Real Madrid and Barcelona receiving more money than everybody else, um, yeah, I really I haven't wanted Chelsea to win a one-off game probably as much as I do on, on Tuesday for quite a while, and that's the fan of me talking, not the, the journalist. <laughs> but obviously, I mean, you kind of make a point about Real Madrid and Paris, but I feel like we've probably got all the football supporting us on on Tuesday. And yeah. I, I don't quite know how to feel about that. Chelsea are normally the villain in the piece, but now we've got the opportunity to sort of to be the hero and again deal with sort of that knockout blow to Perez, who thought there were only 40 fans at, at the Chelsea protested that, you know, 16 to 24-year-olds aren't interested in the game and we need to shorten it to about 35-minute halves or whatever. But how do you sort of feel about Chelsea sort of being, you know, being put in this position where everyone wants us to win? Because I'm, quite, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. It'll be a bit strange because, um, uh, 
yeah, I think yeah, Chelsea have got used to being the the, the team that's uh, not the most popular for for many reasons. But um, but as you say, given the comments of Perez and given his insistence that the Super League must still go ahead for for reasons which aren't really clear at this point, apart from the fact that Real Madrid need money, so please let us do this because it will help us get money. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be very much everyone's going to be on Chelsea's side, and I hope we deliver. I really hope we do. Yeah, Jack. Reese James putting Eden Hazard in his pocket for for ninety minutes. Do, do we do we do a classic Mourinho? Do we stick like a Golo Kante on Eden Hazard? Just not let him, just not let him get anywhere yeah. for ninety minutes. Or, Kante or, do you know, that under Herrera all over again. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, like we said, it'd be typical of him to turn up, wouldn't it, against us? Uh, sorry to come on last night. I was like, oh, trust that timing. Um, yeah, like Adam said, I think we just we've just got to do what we've been doing if we keep resolute at the back and I didn't know that that they haven't scored in their last three games so it's a pretty good sign like going towards it because we've we've not been conceding many goals barring a Sam Allardyce master performance but um, yeah we just got to keep doing what we're doing the only thing that I'd say is we just we've got to be careful we can't it's not really complacency but we've got to be careful because that team, yeah, it's ageing. Yeah, they're not the team that they used to be, 100% agree, but they've got countless trophies in that team and not just trophies, Champions League trophies. When you look, you've got you've still got your Carvajal, Varane, Benzema, Cruz, Modric, Isco. I think all of those boys have won four Champions Leagues. And then you've got someone like Asensio's probably won a couple... Marcelo's not playing as much now. He's won four. So you've probably got a team there that have got over 30 Champions League trophies between them. They know how to win these one-off knockout matches. So I think we've just got to be wary of that. But I 100% believe that we can we can go and turn them over. Um, I hope we just make sure we keep ourselves in the game, I was saying to Adam before we started recording this that um, I've asked asked for, or it might, I think it might have been both of you before, I just said I've, I've asked for uh, the Thursday after the second leg off work. So hopefully we're still in the game by then and <laughs> I can have a little celebration, watch the game and not have to worry about that the next day. Yeah, exactly. You kind of talk about mentioning being in the tie and Adam, we kind of saw that Liverpool basically out the tie by the time they got to Anfield. I know it was, you know, 3-1 and, you know, in maybe past people might have said, oh, the Anfield crowd could have done a bit. But Real Madrid were really professional in how they dealt with Liverpool. Um, can Chelsea afford to really lose the first leg? Or is that, you know, putting too much pressure on? Would you say, like, you know, ideally we need a score draw, but, uh, you know, a worse type thing? Yeah, I think score draw at worst. Uh, I wouldn't want to go into the second leg trailing just because of how experienced and as you say you know Real Madrid know how to get the job done in the Champions League probably more than any other team um I'm just going to correct myself they haven't scored in three of their last four so um so you know that they aren't as 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 a they don't have the same attacking threat as they perhaps once did but um as you say they know how to win games at this this stage I've got a friend who works for AFP uh, out in Madrid and and once Real Madrid got through to the quarterfinals he went he texted me and said well they're winning it then and I was like uh don't be so sure um so yeah as long as Chelsea get back to Stamford Bridge with either an away goal uh, and a score draw or, or sort of a nil-nil I think they are then probably the favorites to go through although I doubt the bookmakers would probably see that the same way Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, it, it promises to be an exciting time. I was being Jack mentioned at the start, this is the first time Jack and I will actually see Chelsea play Real Madrid in our lifetimes. And, you know, it's just a shame that the COVID has ruined it and there's not going to be yeah. fans there for the second leg because that's the only sort of thing that can take away from it being a really, really special night. But again, you know, seeing the likes of Mason Mount and Co, all the academy boys going up against a club like Real Madrid, that must be a pretty surreal moment for them. The fact that Mason Mount probably makes his 100th appearance aware at Real Madrid as well. That's something really, really special and something really to look forward to. But that wraps up 
this week of Acho's podcast. It's been a really fun episode to record. It's been a crazy week, a week like no other. I'll be honest, I didn't think I'd be discussing a Super League, but you know, after last week's pod, but but here we are, and we kind of got through it. And Chelsea, you know, actually strengthened their top four position. So all in all, you know, a pretty pretty good week. I want to thank Adam for coming on. Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, before you go again, give yourself sort of one last plug where people can follow you, you know, your work, and if you've got any, you know, interesting articles coming out in the next few days or today or whatever. I know. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Um, anytime. Um, yeah, my, uh, I say my Twitter handle is Adam Newson, um, and I will think, I think I'm going to have something on Eden Hazard out tomorrow. Um, just sort of a, a look back at perhaps why he wasn't the right man or he wasn't the man Real Madrid thought he was when, uh, when they were signing him in the first place. Um, Injuries notwithstanding. Um, but yeah, I, I never really thought Hazard, had, even though I know it was his dream and I know Rumjid wanted him, I never thought they were the right fit personality and club boys anyway. But uh, yeah, that should be out tomorrow. And I'll be a very good read and I'm sure everyone will look forward to it. Uh, as for us, we're on Instagram, at Chelsea Pod, on Twitter, at Chelsea Pod, and all your usual podcast platform providers. If you've enjoyed us, please leave us a rating and a review. Share with your friends at the end of the day. We're all Chelsea fans talking about the one club that we love. And when we sort of can celebrate, you know, a brilliant week for Chelsea Football Club, it makes it even better. And until the next episode, everybody keep blue flag flying high. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.